Hello, Tony G Nation. Another episode of the Tony G Show set to be recorded and listened to by you, Tony G Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Great start. I'm Real off smooth. To, that was an electric introduction. Real smooth. To today's episode. It's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. This is the Tony G Show, season eight, episode 21. We're think, winding down, Will. Yeah, you'd think you'd be better by now. You would think I would have had a, a <laughs> no. more crisp introduction than that. <laughs> we keep it casual. <laughs> wow. I mean, I couldn't have... I mean, even if I scripted that out and said that, it would have been just brutal. It is scripted. You did, yeah, verbatim. <laughs> Whatever. Well, should we do a show today or just nah. call it? Yeah, let's call it. Okay. Yeah, we're not going to be on a... We're not <laughs> no, we better a do a today. show. We only have a couple left. Yeah, that's true. On that note... Speaking of what we got to left, okay, so let's preview the remaining episodes of the history of the Tony G Show, because it's coming to an end. Troy Frisk is going to tell you about it in the introduction. The Tony G Show is coming to a conclusion. This is episode 21 of season 8, so that means we have 22, 23, 24, and 25 left. That is four episodes. Next Tuesday, Will will, 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 will be out. <laughs> I'll be solo doing my own doing my own gig, another solo show, and then on Thursday is our draft special. Will is going to be back with me. There you go. Yeah, Will will be back with me, and we will have our NFL draft expert Matthew Swanson on that show. So with that, that is next week. Then next Tuesday is our Jason Fonder special, the last ever episode with Jason Fonder on the Tony G Show, and then that Thursday is going to be the concluding episode. Wow. Crazy. So if you look at it through this lens, after today, you know, you're going to be gone Tuesday. We're going to have Swanson on Thursday. And then the following Tuesday is Fonder. Mm-hmm. We only, after today, our only episode where it's just you and me is going to be our final episode. It's crazy. Episode number 25 of season eight. Isn't that nuts? That is pretty crazy to think. Isn't that crazy? So that's the future schedule. That's what the landscape looks like after today. And I crunched some numbers on... The history of the Tony G Show. I mean, wouldn't you know some of the nice numbers that I found out? Mm-hmm. Through every episode, including this one that we are about to record, this is episode. In the history, I'm not kidding. This is honestly true. I've counted up all the episodes from my knowledge, even back to season one when this was the sports rundown on SNC Radio with just myself. Every episode, this is episode number 169 of the Tony G Show. What do you think about that, Will? That's pretty great. That's, That's great stuff. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we are so with with. That's the, actually kind of nuts. It, it is, isn't it? I it's mean, a lot. Okay, you know, take the humor out of it. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. After the four that we will record after today, so there's next week and the week after, and then we're done. We are going to end, and this is including that that the 169 number is including the 11 Tony G Show interviews that we have done mm-hmm. that don't count towards season episodes. So altogether, it's 169, plus the four remaining left. We're going to end at 173 total episodes of the Tony G Show, which, if you put it through this lens, which we were just talking about in the pre-show, if we didn't have COVID wipe out the rest of season four Mm -hmm. and that first month of season five when we're trying to figure out what we're going to do for a Tony G Show, we would be over 200 episodes of the Tony G Show. Isn't that nuts? Pretty grateful, though, that we even could hit, you know... Keep our, our stride going. Exactly. After the pandemic, keep it exactly. going. So. And I have something in this in the show plan here that I wasn't able to calculate. Um, because, you know, in the past we've done how many shows you have been on. Mm-hmm. 
I wasn't able to calculate that. I just like I couldn't find that number where I did yeah. it last time. I don't know. It's probably a solid. Well, you did a season without me. Two. Two seasons without season me. Three. And then plus all these. But know. that's back when there wasn't twenty five episodes a season. Right. In season one, season two. It's probably like good twenty five episodes without me. Probably including like all the. Probably sickness, and then this year I've had a lot where a lot of scheduling conflicts. Yeah, a so. lot of solo shows. Mm-hmm. But uh, either way, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, I think you're definitely over a hundred. Oh yeah, I would say over one fifty. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say one fifty. I'd say over the one twenty mark. I can go back and count on my calendar. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. All the Tony G shows. That way we can put this to rest and really put into perspective how long mm-hmm. we've been doing the Tony G show. Eight seasons, over 170 episodes, is coming to an end in May. So enjoy it while you can. Speaking of today's show, we're going to talk Debo Samuel. We're going to talk about another legendary college basketball coach retiring. And then Armando Galarraga. You remember that name? The near-perfect game that he had a few years ago? That may get overturned. We'll tell you why to conclude the show. That is today's show, Season 8, Episode 21 of the Tony G Show. Follow him on Twitter at Willis5312. Follow me on Twitter at Tony G Nation. Troy, give us the intro. You are listening to the eighth and final season of the Tony G Show. Eight seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. I have to come clean here, Will. Last night I I, uh, made a decision that was, and maybe at the same time was not for the betterment of myself. (laughs) You give me this worry look, it's okay. Okay. I was doing homework late at night. You know, this point in the semester, we're all tired and we're, you know, just grinding through homework. And so I had I had it scheduled that I was going to eat dinner from six to seven, and then I have to watch lectures for a class that was today, that was going to take about two hours, mm-hmm. an hour and a half, two hours. So that whole homework skit that I had was going to go seven to nine, and then I was going to just get ready for bed after nine. Bucks game played last night, the Bucks mm-hmm. playoff game against the Bulls, game number two down in Milwaukee, and I get a FaceTime from. My former roommate, someone whose spot you took over in Tony G Studios, mm-hmm. um, one Mr. John Metcalf, and he goes, "Hey yo, how about you come on over and watch the game? <laughs> watch the game." <laughs> so I stopped right where I was, like I was about, I don't know, a couple minutes, say twenty or so minutes, twenty five minutes into my lecture that I was watching mm-hmm. homework, and I put it away, and I went to my friend's house and watched basketball, and nice. it was not done in time for class today, but <laughs> I still participated enough. I still did the readings. Yeah. I did do the readings uh, in in my 10 o'clock class. So this class that I was reading for was for <laughs> noon. Didn't pay attention in the 10 o'clock to catch up on the readings. For t- so I'm all sorts of messed up right now for um, just trying to find time to fit everything in. But that's, you know, I, yeah. I thought to myself, you know, you're only in college for a couple more weeks. Right. Like I might as well enjoy the fact that some of my college friends are still like just down the road. Right. And they want to ask to watch some basketball. You better go do it. Exactly. Like next playoff season. No one's going to be FaceTiming me. You know, I'll still have some friends in college. Yeah. My friends who aren't in college will probably have jobs or whatever. I'm not going to go sit there till midnight watching basketball right. like I am now. So I might as well do it now. You know, I, I've given a lot of effort to my... I've been on the Deans this last two years, so I'm doing right. something right. I get right. to shove aside an assignment and go enjoy <laughs> some time with my friends. So stop making me feel guilty, all right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, oh, yeah. This is a sports talk show. Should we get into the sports? Or? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Well, segment number one. Let's talk Debo Samuel, the famed wide receiver who has gotten off to a hot start in his career for the San Francisco 49ers is one Mr. Debo Samuel. Mr. Debo Samuel went to the University of South Carolina, was drafted, and he is now going to be 26. I think he's 26, going to be 27 at the start of next year. The 26-year-old, Debo Samuel, has recently been unhappy with the team regarding contract negotiations or contract situations. He's in the final year of his rookie contract, so the team still has a lot of control here. Debo doesn't get any say. That rookie contract does not come with a no-trade clause or mm-hmm. you know, with, with high-paying numbers, and he knows that he has been one of the more productive wide receivers throughout the last couple of seasons, especially playoff time last year, going down the stretch for San Francisco. I mean, they got all the way to the NFC Championship game, and that was in large part because of Debo Samuel and how they used him. He was pretty much the identity of that offense. Exactly. I mean, besides the defense, the offense was all Debo Samuel. I mean, he was all one side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And you can say what you want about the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo has been into deep playoff runs or whatever in the past, but... That was most. That was pretty much all Debo Samuel yeah. last year. I mean, you can say what you want about the fact that you know Garoppolo has had some playoff experience and success, but listen, the way that they used Debo with Kyle Shanahan's innovation and the fact that he is a good offensive-minded head coach coming from that Sean McVay tree, the way that they used Debo Samuel was very good because now they know what they got with him. You know, they found a way. I mean, they got all the way to the NFC Championship game, but also it's a double-edged sword here because now. He knows what he's worth, mm-hmm. and he knows that if he doesn't want to play, he's not going to. He knows that he's he's pretty much in the prime of his career, if not entering it and only getting better. Right. So we'll see what happens here. But as the situation has unfolded to this point, this unhappiness with the organization and with the franchise has culminated to the point where Debo has said that he is ready. Mm-hmm to be traded if he cannot get this contract. And he officially, just yesterday, on Wednesday, what would have been, what is it, the 20th of April, he said he wants to trade. Mm-hmm. So now all sorts of rumors are swirling around which types of teams are interested, which types of teams should be interested. Is Debo Samuel even at liberty to ask for a trade with this rookie contract that he has? He's still under team control, the San Francisco 49ers have the ability to keep him and maintain him if they want. Now, he can sit out if he wants, but then he's just costing himself money. So it's there's a lot up in the air here. It's, it, this is something we've seen a lot more of in recent memory, especially with football, with players sitting out. Ever since the Le'Veon Bell era mm-hmm. in 2018, 2019, ever since then we've been seeing a lot. And you know what happened before Le'Veon Bell, but ever since then it just... Seems like it piles on it's every year. Up. There's two or three players at least mm-hmm. that threaten to sit out if they're not going to get paid. And Devontae Adams was just one of them mm-hmm. for Green Bay until he finally, you know, kind of said, I'm not going to accept a contract extension. I'm going to go play for Las Vegas and, and my college bud and Derek Carr. So, with that being said, I think there's a couple points to elaborate on and discuss here. One of them is the fact that, and we'll just we'll attack it in chronological order here, in the fact that. In the way that I bring it up. One, Debo should be getting a blank check at this next at this next uh, pay period for mm-hmm. him. Uh, the other talking point is, what would it take for 
a suitable trade for Debo Samuel. Like, you're not going to give up three first-rounders for the guy. No. But what would it take? So that's another discussion point that we'll talk today. And then would he fit with the Green Bay Packers? You know, we're from a Wisconsin market just down the road from Lambeau. This is something that a lot of people are talking about, and this is news that swirls. But then again, it always seems like that. Whenever a wide receiver hits the free agent market, you know, Odell Beckham last season, or whenever there's a free agent that wants a trade, everyone in the Packers stratosphere from a social standpoint, like from an external standpoint, like not within the organization type of standpoint, says, oh, they should go get that wide, <laughs> that wide receiver. And the Packers are always reluctant to do so. Not necessarily that that's a bad thing. You know, it's a team that always has plans. And if they are going to make a move for a big splash like this, it's coordinated. You know, it's not just something that comes up. So that's another talking point. We'll start with the first one. Should Debo Samuel be getting a blank check? Let me look at this question through this, through this scope. Debo Samuel throughout the course of his career now, is being used as a versatile guy mm -hmm. where he can be used out of the backfield. Yeah. He can be used in a sweep motion. That's something that we saw the 49ers do a lot of against the Packers. Is, you know, they'll pull a guard and bring Debo from one side of the field to the other, you know, left side to the right side, and then just sweep and let him, you know, with his agility and his mm -hmm. athleticism, just make a play, you know, and just get another first down, whether it's, eight yards or whether it's 12, 13 yards, you know, he's just productive from that point. Not to mention he's got speed. Mm -hmm. He's got good hands. And that's why I think he should be getting a blank check is because he knows, he knows that at this point in his career, that the, the rate that he's used at, and you know, we just talked about it, how he had some injuries towards the back end of last year, that his durability is only going to decrease throughout the remaining course of his career because of how many touches he gets. It's almost yeah. like running back-esque yeah. how often he touches the football. As I was just going to say, he's got a wide receiver with – he's a wide receiver with a running back, you know, trajectory yeah. of, of, of uh, durability, really, just the way he's used. And we've already seen it. Mm -hmm. Is this the best play for Debo to do this now? I get he wants to get paid. I get he wants that second mm -hmm. contract, and he feels like he's earned it. And I understand that. But if you put on another good season, and I guess there's like, well, what else is there to prove? But if, if you put on another good season, it's mm -hmm. like this guy is for real. If you keep yourself healthy, which that's not always a guarantee, you know, that's kind of what we're saying. It's, he, there's a chance he might miss a couple games next year just because of how much he's used. But if he stays healthy, how much does he just increase his potential for earnings that way? I mean, Right, and I, I think there's a little bit at play – I could be wrong. I remember reading somewhere that he was kind of just out on the organization as well, where he's just kind of, he's a little tired basically of San Fran. And maybe he's seeing something like the uncertainty of Jimmy G or Trey Lance. And they're like, you know, he, maybe he just wants out of that. Maybe he, he wants to be in a winning environment and he's seeing a lot of uh, movement in uh, San Fran. That's just not really going to lead towards that. I'm going to do some live research here on the Tony G show. So bear with me as I mm -hmm. talk and double as I, as I do this research. Um, but I saw, because I'm trying to find another headline where this was a, a real thing where I think some of the teams who were interested, and I think it was down to like the Packers and the Seahawks. I, I don't know. that I can't find it right now live here on the Tony G Show as we record this. But I think something that plays into this is you're right. He doesn't, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is an average quarterback. You can win with average mm -hmm. quarterbacks. But look at it through a wide receiver perspective, through a, through a skilled position perspective. 
where this is going to be a guy that you're catching footballs from all year long. They're sticking with him, even though they got Lance in the backfield ready to go on the sideline. Like, he's ready to go. And they're still going to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo, so that's kind of up in the air. So what if Debo wants to go to, you know, can you imagine Debo in Denver with Russell Wilson and the young wide receivers and even tight ends that they got and skill position players that they have in Denver? That would be a lethal offense. Can you imagine Debo Samuel in Green Bay playing next to Aaron Rodgers where that quarterback situation is locked down, where the head coach is someone who is innovative and can draw up a scheme to really get Debo some touches and help him be productive. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that the Green Bay Packers do an amazing job at splitting carries between Aaron Jones mm-hmm. and A.J. Dillon, so yep. they know how to keep their running backs fresh and healthy without overusing them. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind if you're Debo Samuel, that you want to go to an organization that, yes, is stable offensively, that, yes, will give you... Whatever amount of money that you want, you want a Blake check, and I think you deserve it. But also keep in mind that you want to go to an organization that's not going to overuse you. You know, Debo Samuel's not Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's a special breed that he can touch the football mm-hmm. 20 to 30 times a game and still be healthy with the exception of last year. But Debo Samuel's not that. Right. And so there's because nobody, not, not too many people are. Right. And it's kind of the gamble he's taking really here is that. You'd you'd said it before, but he, he's on his rookie deal. He has no player option. No, he has no choice in this, and so he must be seeing something in the 49ers organization that he is just there's no there's no going down from there. Maybe he sees a lot. You know, this next year is going to be a rough one for them, and he is just ready to get his contract and he wants out. But he really has no choice where he goes. He could be traded to the Lions tomorrow, or yeah. he could be on the Eagles. I mean, it, literally anywhere, and that's up to the you know the front office. I think Debo, uh, listen, just a, a flash of energy. And another reason that I think that he should get what he wants out of his contract situation. But this also start, starts to transition to that other talking point that we mentioned where what would you give up? What's a suitable amount of draft picks or draft value to give up for the 49ers? Will, I'll let you have first crack at this. And then we'll start to deep dive into some of the stats for Samuel and make the case for him. I'm actually going to answer your question with a question for you. Okay. Would you give up? So what, what did the Packers get for Devontae? A first and a third? A first right? and a second. First and a second. Would you give a first and a second for him if you're Green Bay? Because this kind of adds into that next question too. Mm. Would you give up those picks right away to get get Debo? I'd almost say here's the portion here because there's another addition onto this. Mm-hmm. I'd say yes just in retrospect. Like, yeah, that is that to me, if the 49ers are willing to take that, and I think that's a good haul, you know, if that if Devontae's worth that, then yeah, Debo definitely should definitely worth. be worth that. Yeah. Keep in mind though, and this sorts of you're right, this does kind of play into the next question of should the Packers so let's just combine them all here and say this. Debo Samuel is gonna cost twenty million a year with this new contract that he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, or twenty to twenty five for the next four, five, six years. Right. I mean, he's going to cost you $100 million. That's a $100 million investment that you were making mm-hmm. if you acquired Debo Samuel. That is yeah. something I, I think cannot be underrated. It's not like you're signing Sammy Watkins. It's not like you're trading for, I don't know, insert B-roll wide receiver talent here yeah. where it's like you don't have to pay them 100 If you trade for Debo Samuel, and you could say you're just doing it for this year, but then why would you give up? Two prime draft picks yeah. for just a one-year investment. So it's either right. you're giving up a one-year, a, a two draft picks for a one-year investment, or you're making a hundred million-dollar investment in Debo Samuel. Yeah, I think it's going to take a team that 
has the space for it. You yeah. know, it. Yep. I could see him getting traded for less than a first by a team that would be ta- basically taking him for the year, or be it the, you know the option the team can sign him long term. Then then he's worth a first round pick because if you can keep him long term, he's a great player to have. Um, I to answer the Packers question, you know, would he fit on the Packers? I don't think there's a doubt in my mind he would fit on the Packers offense. Yeah. Should the Packers get him? No way. Yeah. I really hope they don't. It's just not thinking in terms of contract deals. So obviously they have a way to sign him because they offered Devonte the money he wanted. So they can afford a contract like that somehow. It'll probably be backloaded. Yeah. Know, oh, 30 million towards the back end of the contract. Yeah. So they can afford it somehow. But then you also have to think so this upcoming year they got to re-sign Amos. They got to re-sign Jair Alexander. Jair's the big one. They got to re-sign. Um, oh, there's somebody else there too. Yeah, there's a there's a few players that you're. But they're not going to be able to do that. They they won't. They they'll be getting rid of either Amos or Alexander. I think Amos is on the way out. So, that's tough. And, and then, if you ask me, I would rather not have Debo and have the chance to keep that defense together. And then what's the math here? Drafted in nineteen, so you got nineteen twenty. You got twenty twenty one twenty one twenty two. So you're entering like last stages of rookie deals for Rashawn Gary mm-hmm. and Darnell Savage as well. So if you pair the Savage back into the contract with the Amos back into the contract, just to prove your point here that they have money to spend, that's your whole secondary, second yep. secondary, if you include Jair Alexander too. Mm-hmm. So the Packers do have a lot of money to go around to go around to players that they have to resign. And to me, I would agree that that is probably on the forefront. Like you. Yeah. If this was Madden, yeah, go out and right. and acquire Debo Samuel. Turn the salary cap off. Exactly, and exactly. Go wild. But the Packers have consistently, year after year, been that moderate team who has a strategic plan, who have had a methodical approach to the offseason. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not a move that is in their playbook. Like, I get it. it. It seems like every time, and this is something I mentioned towards the open of the segment, that a a name at the wide receiver position gets open, like a name, like an Odell Beckham or someone like that. You know, DK Metcalf is not on anybody. Like he's not on the trade block, but Mm -hmm. ever since Russell Wilson got let go, you're thinking all the Seahawks are in rebuild mode, so they're going to get rid of DK Metcalf. We'll go out and acquire DK. It's like the Packers don't do that where they go acquire these big name wide receivers, especially at skill positions. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think – it's worth, I want to hone on, on this a little more because you said something I didn't necessarily agree with, mm-hmm. but something that I think the intent is there on. Like, I think I understand what you the point you're trying to make is here. Yeah. I think in any case where Debo gets traded, there's a first round pick included. I think that's this, that's probably basement level mm. is okay. at least one first rounder and then yeah. maybe like a, a second or like a first and a third and a fourth or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think. He's worth that first-round pick regardless because he's Debo Samuel, just because of the talent that he provides and the athleticism that he has. But, like, it's that same point. You're making either – you're sacrificing a first-round pick who you'd have for four years of control in theory. On a rookie deal. In theory, on a rookie deal, you'd have four years of control in theory unless it's another Debo Samuel, or you're making a $100 million investment Mm -hmm. because Debo's going to want $20 million. Right. For the next couple years. And rightfully so. I mean, he's mm-hmm. earned it. But you're, if you're looking at destinations, you have got to be talking about teams that have draft capital, that have payroll, 
and that have the ability to house a Debo Samuel and use him effectively for the next couple of seasons. And there aren't very many teams that have that. Green I mean, Bay is not one. No, no. Green they Bay aren't. is not one. You're thinking big market now. So you're thinking Dallas Cowboys. They have big money. Mm-hmm. They have an offense, you know, with with at a least a lot of holes. With a lot of holes to fill, but also at the same time a game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in past years under Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore where to the point where it's like they could make Debo work in mm-hmm. Dallas. They have draft capital, at least for the most part. You're thinking of other big market teams. Chicago, maybe. I I don't know that they have that innovative offensive piece. Right. Um, but I'm just trying to brainstorm big markets off the top of my there's, head here. There's going to be teams that'll throw the book, really. Oh yeah. It, that I guess, but I want to go back and like kind of say that I don't think that I think that he'll get a first round or, or San Fran will get a first round for him. I don't know right now if he's proven that he's worth a first round. Let me tell you these stats then. I think that's a great point to mention these stats. A man who has had three years in the NFL. Played 15 games, 7 games, and then 16 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019, 2020, 2021. 10 receiving touchdowns in his career. 11 rushing touchdowns throughout those three See, that's years. interesting, right? And, and he's saying that he wants to be used more of a receiver. You yeah. said 10 in his career. Yeah. Well, that's also... 8 of those rushing touchdowns came last year. Right. It was an 8-6 clip where he had 8 rushing touchdowns, 6 receiving touchdowns. So... I mean, it's not like he can't do it out of the receiver position, but I get what you're saying, that he doesn't yeah. have those numbers because he spent too much time in that running back usage. There's also, there was that year, that was the year he played seven games where that, San Fran had a historically bad year. That was yeah. just, that was a weird, it was just a weird year for San Francisco that year. So that also factors in. And I think he was injured in that year too. Yeah. So I mean, like this plays into it again. He's dealt with injury in his career. Mm-hmm. So is he really worth everything? Is he really worth the house, the kitchen sink? <laughs> Listen, you know what's probably going to happen is a team like some offensive, unbelievable team is like the Chiefs are probably going to take him. Yeah, I can see him easily. I mean, it, and again, this is totally up to the, the 49ers and what they want to yeah, do. It is. I don't see him being in the NFC North. I do not see him being a Packer. I really hope he's not a Packer. I I really don't want him to be a Green Bay Packer. I, I think he's a great player and he would be a great addition. I want to keep Jair and I want to keep Adrian Amos more. I would put those. I would put Jair over that. Yeah, uh, Jair's regardless. way more important than Debo. Here's the th- uh, here's the other interesting thing that's worth mentioning. While we have a couple more minutes to discuss this, is are the the 49ers aren't going to trade him in division? No, probably not in conference. So that takes out the Seahawks, Cardinals, and Rams. Mm-hmm. And that probably, if he's not going to go in the NFC, that takes out Packers. Mm -hmm. That takes out Cowboys. Who, you know, if I go through hierarchy of where I think he's going to land, I would put Cowboys one. I would probably put Chiefs two. And then I would put New England three. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's realistic. I mean, again, I think it's going to depend on if some of these lower level teams, like teams with high draft picks, they could really throw it at, you know. Yeah. Boom. And, and, the 49ers could get a lot for this. Like it could be really good for them because he's yeah. young. Yep. He is explosive. Like you said, his numbers don't match like probably the hype around him as much. He's a really good player and his numbers are really, really good. But I could see the Niners getting a lot for him in return. Here's the other thing that I wanted to, but I like, yeah, we I'll got time. Three. So I, I think it's worth mentioning just this hypothetical. Can you imagine? And a team I think has the market 
has the offensive minded now with Josh McDaniels. You know where I'm going with this? The Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. They don't have the draft capital. No. They just gave up their drafts, their draft picks, their premier draft picks for Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. So they don't have that. They could give up more, but it would be in years future. Well, now you don't have a first round pick for three years. I think they have another one that they acquired in a trade for this year. But you get what I'm saying is that yeah. now you're just going to give up the house for two wide receivers. And <laughs> all of a sudden you have Devontae and Debo on one side, but where are your offensive linemen to protect right. Derek Carr? You know what I mean? So yeah, that was just another interesting hypothetical that I ran through in my head and preparing for this. But in all, all in all, with the fact of the matter, I think it's interesting that Debo asked for this now. This was something that had been boiling for the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, almost a couple of months, where he wanted a new deal. He knows he's getting into yep. the back end of his contract. He knows that he's not being used the way that he prefers. You know, he doesn't want to be beat up his whole career. He doesn't want to be a running back. And the fact that he is versatile and he is as athletic just about as you can get, it's like it's as much of a curse as it is a blessing because it's like you are talented. There is always going to be a use for you in the NFL. But until that use for you hurts you, which it has in the last couple years in terms of injury-wise, well, now all of a sudden there's no use for you. So it's like you're playing a risk either way you go. And I think Debo just wants to be in a position where he can just be a wide receiver, where he can get paid his money because now he's made a name for himself. Interesting to see how this situation mm-hmm. plays out. There's no real sign to it. There wasn't much on the show planned for today because I had written this up yesterday once this news broke, and I had expected that by the time we recorded today that he would be traded. I had fully expected that. Yeah. Because that's just the way it goes sometimes. Like I'll start planning for the Tony G show, and then boom, something will happen, and, and it's all over. I think I hope for Matt's sake that the trade happens by, no. yes. <laughs> like at least by Wednesday next week because that is going to throw off his whole draft. And I think that's part of the reason that this has come up now is I, I have a feeling Debo wants to be traded, and this only you know adds to my argument. But give a team that's you know desperate for a receiver with a lot of picks the chance to trade for him because mm-hmm. otherwise if he waits post draft that you know receivers will be off the board and. Teams that are really desperate for receivers are likely going to be the <laughs> the teams that aren't, aren't probably going to do as well this season. Yeah. I think that's a good quick um, advertisement for next week's episode of our draft special with our draft specialist in Matthew Swanson, our draft expert and college football expert. So that'll be uh, an interesting topic. I mean, and the guy, just to credential him even further, I mean, the guy wants to be a scout. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, he has experience doing work for the Hula Bowl as an yep. intern. He has connections. All-star I mean, the, game. The guy really knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So tune into that episode next week. Now, with that, I think it's another good uh, transition point from football to basketball, and then we're going to conclude the show on baseball. But going to basketball, another legendary college basketball coach retired just last night before this recording. Jay Wright announced his retirement from Villanova after 21 years with the Wildcats. He won two national championships in 2016 and 2018. Besides that, he's been to the Final Four two more times in 2009 and 2022, just this year. He ends his career as a head coach with a 642 and 282 record. And at Villanova, 520 and 197. That's crazy. More than 300 wins over losses in terms of that total. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty crazy. So there's a couple talking points here. Where does Jay Wright rank among these head coaches who have stepped away in recent years? We'll do that. 
And then, you know, part of, I think, why this happened now is Jay Wright has expressed frustrations with college basketball and the, the NCAA as a whole, which is something that other coaches and other faculty members have done as well. So is there a problem with the new rules and the modernization in the NCAA? We'll talk about those two different points here. First, I think it's worth just playing around with this. Where does Jay Wright rank among these head coaches who have stepped away in recent years? Well, some of these head coaches have been Coach K, Roy Williams, and Lon Kruger, who was the head coach in uh, in Oklahoma. And I would probably put him in that order. Yeah, I'd probably do. Mm-hmm. I'd probably do Coach K first. I'd probably do Roy Williams, and then I could do Jay Wright, and you know the rest after that. But I think I could see an argument, and this is something I wanted to mention for Jay Wright being number one because he didn't do it at Duke, he didn't do it at uh, UNC. You know, he didn't have a Michael Jordan mm-hmm. playing for him. He didn't have Zion Williamson. He brought a program from a non-Power 5 school in the Big East for Villanova to national championship stardom, winning in 16 and 18, bringing them to Final Fours just last season and in 09. He's a guy who did this at a smaller school, who did it at a school with non-Power 5 conference affiliations. And he brought in... he. He stepped up his recruiting. He stepped up his program stature. He stepped up the level of play. And ever since Jay Wright announced his retirement on Twitter, there has been this video circulating of when they won the national championship over UNC on that buzzer beater. I think it was 77-74. Someone hit a three, boom, game over. They won the national championship. Jay Wright just kind of looks, watches the play happen, and then he just turns around. Very stoic in his manner. Mm -hmm. And that's what he has been throughout the last two decades for Villanova is someone who is really – culminated as what a head coach should be bringing a program from I don't want to say rock bottom because it's not like this was a, a right. bad program but he, he brought like a championship identity basically. exactly he brought championship culture to Villanova in a place that was not Duke in a place that was not UNC in a place that is not like Kansas or Oklahoma he didn't bring in Zion Williamson he didn't bring in Michael Jordan he brought in guys who he knew that he could mold into championship-level basketball players. And that's what he did in his program. I think this, you know, there's a lot to be said about the retirement for Coach K and Roy Williams. and You know, I, I don't underestimate that. But I think there should be an extra amount of attention given to the fact that Jay Wright brought a Villanova from uh, the Big East Conference into the national championship spotlight. Mm-hmm. And now, Villanova's had success over the years, but... Once Jay Wright got there and especially turned into the 21st century, hey, hats off mm-hmm. to uh, Jay Wright as he calls it a career. Now, another talking point that I think is worth mentioning while we got the time to. Jay Wright, over the course of the last couple of years, and I think this is why this culminates into right now that he retires, he has expressed frustration with the NCAA as a unit and with the sport of college basketball in recent years in terms of rules and regulations and how things have gone. This has also been consistent with other retirees. So I'm starting to wonder, is there a pattern here? And other retirees, as I mentioned, Coach K, Roy Williams, you know, all these names. But then even the faculty guys of athletic directors, like North Carolina, Kevin White, athletic director, Georgia's AD, Greg McGarity, UCLA AD, Dan Guerrero, even Barry Alvarez at UW, Tim Bald at St. Norbert College. (laughs) Now, Tim and I think both Barry Alvarez and Tim were getting towards retirement age where they were like, I'm ready to 
switch it up and yeah. and not be in the middle of this. But I mean, all of these guys have in common the fact that there is something within the NCAA or the new rules that has made their jobs either more difficult or more unpleasant or put any obstacles. I don't know. I'm not in that perspective. It'd be great to get other outside perspective on this issue. But I think it's worth mentioning that there's a pattern here Mm -hmm. with these new modernization rules. I don't know if it's something to do with athletic sponsorships, you know, the NIL deals or something with COVID and eligibility or whatever the NCAA is trying to do to modernize the games that it that it carries, you know, whether it's baseball, football, or basketball. There is something here that I think when coaches decide if they're going to retire or not, they take into consideration what they have to deal with from the NCAA on a level that I don't think they've ever had to before. So that, in a debate, in an internal debate where you're wondering, should I retire, should I not retire, that I think plays a role in the fact that these guys are leaning towards retiring and moving on to the next phases of their life away from this and what they deal with. Now, I don't know that it is that could just be coincidence and we could just be ushering in a new era but i think it's a point of awareness that i think we should have as sports fans mm-hmm. to look at and really consider is there something going on in the NCAA with the new modernization rules that is actually bad for colleges I think and, he, and college coaches that they're stepping away or faculty members we also should consider just the effects that the pandemic has had on this as a whole too yeah I think that's, that's always there too right i think that's really created a lot more responsibility for these roles that you know, that's never existed prior to 2020. Yeah. So it's just, I think that's something that we need to consider. But that also plays in just to all the new rules and NCAA. And, I, you know, because NCAA has to deal with a bunch of rules now with COVID as well. And I think it's yeah. just so many things and just, it all probably just piled on top of it. And it was just, you know, everyone is just done. I think for as good, and, you know, and I'm not saying this is bad in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. I think it's a great thing that all college athletes have been given that year of eligibility after mm-hmm. COVID to stick around if they want to and maximize their memories or their experience as a college athlete under the NCAA. I also think that makes it more of a headache for coaches and faculty yeah. members to try and shuffle around their rosters and to recruit. And now all of a sudden recruits who might – you know, under a regular year, commit to your program, might see that that senior who graduated but is going to come back and use that year of eligibility is going to take a year of play away from them. Mm -hmm. And now I think there's that extra element of, you know, and I think it's great. I think it's great that college athletes who have dealt with the COVID pandemic have been given another year to maximize them. But now that next class, that high school class, is dealing with being pushed aside by another year. And I think it's going to take some time to catch up to a point where everybody has had their maximum years of eligibility in four years, and they're out the door now. That's a good point. That definitely affects recruiting. Like that, yes. that that's something to totally consider. I mean, if you're debating between schools and you're going to get, you're either going to ride the bench or you're going to start. That's a deciding factor for, I would say, ninety percent of college athletes. Yeah. And so that's very good point. A very good point that I, I really never even kind of considered. But yeah. Well, I suppose we'll leave that there. If you have any uh, input on this as part of Tony G Nation, reach out to us, TonyGNation.com, at Willis5312, and at TonyGNation on Twitter. So get out to us uh, if you have any thoughts or input on this. With the third and final segment today, remember, we're going football to, ba- uh, to basketball to baseball. Here we are with our third and final segment. You remember the perfect game, or I should say the near-perfect game 
of Armando Galarraga back in 2010 might get overturned. And now that is a uh, that is a hopeful might. I, I don't know that there's any progress on this, but let me set up this story. June 2nd, 2010, down at Comerica Park for the Detroit Tigers. You know, the perfect game, there's only been like 20 pitches. You know, there's a no-hitter where you go all nine innings and you don't give up a single hit to the opposing team as the starting pitcher. That is more common, uncommon, but more common than a perfect game, which has only happened like 22 times throughout the history of Major League Baseball. And at the time, Armando Galarraga went through 26 outs. That's two outs in the ninth inning before giving up an infield single. Why is this worth mentioning? Because this infield single, it was a play towards the right side of the infield where second baseman and first baseman were converging. Uh, Miguel Cabrera was the first baseman who scooped it up on a backhand and flipped to Galarraga, who was the pitcher covering first on the play. He flipped to him, and Galarraga got the ball, stepped on the base, and umpire Jim Joyce called him safe. So that's an infield single. Upon replay, back when there was no replay in Major League Baseball, you couldn't review it back then. Looking at the replay, he was out. So it was a missed call that cost Armando Galarraga a perfect game. It wasn't anything he did, but it was the fact that it was a missed call. Well, just yesterday I saw this per the Asbury Park Press. I said that in a weird way. Asbury Park Press. (laughs) A Monmouth University law class has submitted a 82-page document arguing that the near-perfect game of Armando Galarraga should be overturned and switched to a, indeed, perfect game. That's a long paper. That's a long paper. That's 82 pages. I want to know what's in that paper. I feel like I got 82 pages coming up in the next couple of weeks that I got due, but <laughs> that's a long paper. And it was an entire class that contributed to this. They submitted it to, I think, Rob Manfred right at the, the, the helm of Major League Baseball to overturn it. Galarraga did not complete the game. He went eight and two-thirds that day, and he got taken out after that moment. Jim Joyce got just about booed off the field the next day. I remember watching this like it was yesterday. The next day at the umpire meeting at the next game, it was seen that Jim Joyce was crying, and he was giving Armando Galarraga a hug because he was just so hurt that he cost a perfect game, something that is so uncommon and mm-hmm. is so unique to the game of baseball. That he cost that to happen on a bad call. I mean, it wasn't even like a bang, bang, like, oh, wow, that was, I don't know, that could have gone either way. Like, you look at it in review, and he was out. So that's why I 100% agree, because if you just call him out there, yeah, he gets taken out of the game, and he doesn't finish it, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> He's right. just got a perfect game. If you call him out there, it never matters. So to me, I 100% agree that this should get overturned and switched to a perfect game. I've been saying that for years. Hmm. What's the harm in doing that? That's interesting. I, I really don't. I mean, let me frame it like this. If I were, you know, say this were a Brewers game way back and, you know, I'm invested heavily in a team and I have yeah. bias towards that, I'd be like all in on, yeah, please overturn that. But there's also, you have to consider like what kind of, like what kind of worms is that open? Are they going to go back and review every game and change a bunch of calls? Are they going to change World Series outcomes because mm-hmm. of this on a missed call or... It's just it's one of those things. If it's if it's a one-off event, then maybe and that's awesome. But that's just gonna bring up a bunch of fans to you know rage about. Well, then are you gonna fix this call from 1999 when we should have won? And 
And so, I, but I also, it's a perfect game. Like, that would be really cool, yes. right? And so I see the merit in, in that argument. But I wonder, you know, what the argument poses, that why it would be yeah. different from 82 pages of a law class. That's why I want to, that's why I'm curious, because I'm, sure I'm sure they answer that question. Yeah. I'm sure they answered that, you know, my argument right there saying, what does that open up? And maybe there's a legitimate, you know, legal <laughs> argument for that. Yeah, and there could be. I'm I'm sure there is. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm never going to be one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. I, I, it hurt me to watch mm-hmm. because you want to see a perfect game. Yeah, and then to have it just be blown on a bad call where the umpire admittedly is like, "Yeah, I, I cost." Right. That's that rough too. Game. I mean, I I've refereed games before, not not baseball, but yeah. I can see that, you know, in the moment you have to make a call and that's that's kind of the reality of the game, right? I mean, that's the human error that that is kind of the reality that, you know, that's going to that's going to happen. happen. You know, too bad it happened. Right. So that could be what Brad Manfred ends up saying. How many yeah, how many baseball games are there played in a year? It's like at some point there was going to be a situation kind of like that. Just yeah. how the fail Mary happened, you know, yeah. between Green Bay and Seattle. That that at some point would happen. I mean, it it's the chances of that are unknown, but it happened. <laughs> Will, you and I only have one more episode, just you and me on the Tony G Show, and it'll be the last, the concluding, the ending episode of the An show's history. Eight-hour marathon. The eight-hour marathon no. goodbye <laughs> show. I won't see you till Thursday Yeah. when we uh, do that NFL draft show. You'll be out on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I'll do a solo gig. And just like that, I mean, we're winding four episodes remain in the history of the crazy. Tony G Show. Isn't that sad? Isn't that crazy. crazy? Unbelievable. Hard to believe that we've gotten to this point without getting canceled or taken <laughs> off the, the air in some sort of fashion. But we've done a good job. So episode number 169 is in the books. That's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. We'll see you in the next two weeks for the concluding four episodes of the Tony G Show.